I'm very excited to welcome Rebecca Martin Fagerholm and Erica Duffy to kicking the seat. Um, Rebecca, we've we've talked uh, a few times. I think we talked last year about uh, one of the myriad projects you're working on or involved in. For yes, short Cinema film, Femme, short film festival. Mm -hmm. um, one is that that's coming back, right? It should yes. be coming back around again. And we're going to be in person again, and uh, we're going to be at the music box. It's very exciting. Uh, yeah, so that's that's you know it's Sundance and then it's uh, short film fest. That's the order of things right now. So yeah, excellent. Well, I'm sure we'll be talking more about that uh, <clears throat> coming up real soon. But um, right now we're going to talk about okay the the merger of Cinema Femme, which you mm -hmm. founded, mm -hmm. and then Erica, you are the founder and CEO of Camera Ambassador both kind of Chicago institutions, and you've come together to form The Call Sheet, yeah. volume two of which, oh, here comes the, here's the time for the prop. That's your cue. Awesome. <laughs> oh, sorry, Broadway. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I, I can never get holding stuff up in front of the camera. Yeah, it's, it's like, It's, ah, it's right. a failing. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the physical and digital copy of that, the volume two are out now. So we're going to talk about it. Um, I want to start off by saying, well, there's a, there's a quote from a profile in the new issue of uh, Tux Turner, and they said they were recounting an experience. I think Coleman Domingo had said uh, in uh, some kind of an onset experience, anything you can do, you can do in the Windy City. Okay. Um, and this is uh, a Chicago institution that we're talking about here. So I want to get into how did the call sheet come about? You know, what is it? Where can people find it? Um, and, you know, what can we expect from this new issue where the theme is what unconventional superheroes. Yeah. I know that's a lot, yeah. but yeah. I'm just going to throw it all at you and, and we'll do kind of a free form. Like, let's just get to it. Okay. Um, Erica, do you want to start? No, you take it away. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, Erica has been uh, kind of like a consultant mentor for me um, since pretty much the beginning of Cinema Femme. Um, Erica saw our newsletters going out about all the interviews and essays that we were doing. And, you know, I voiced to Erica, I, how much I wanted Cinema Femme to be a print magazine in the beginning. Um, but that it just was not a lost dream, but I, not a realistic thing for me to do financially. <laughs> so I, I, I just, you know, I would always say, oh, someday do a print magazine. And then, um, Erica, like, when was it? Uh, 2022? 22, yeah. 22. Yeah. You, you were like, let's do a magazine. I'm like, Awesome. So, uh, you know, we from there, we kind of came together with a vision, you know, with Cinema Femme, I've always been about um, elevating underrepresented voices, specifically women and non-binary people in film. And Erica has a similar mission um, and also, you know, geographically as well, not not just, you know, women and non-binary, but people from not the coasts, like not LA, not New York, but you know, the Midwest, um, you know, Washington, you know, just places that don't, that have strong film communities, but they do not get elevated 
in the mainstream media. So uh, the call sheet seemed a good place to, to have, or a good platform to elevate these underrepresented voices. And that was the initial seed, I guess I would, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, well, Erica, talk about um, like your, I guess, ground floor involvement. Yeah, absolutely. So like Rebecca mentioned, um, you know, we've worked together, you know, it, you know, in a capacity um, for 7FM for quite some time and really just developed a friendship. And yeah, I just like Rebecca's like one of my muses. I every time uh, I talk to her, she just makes my life better. Um, so we've had that relationship going for a long time now. Um, it started during the pandemic. And then, yeah, when, you know, she started expressing the print um, edition of the magazine of what she um, in this type of medium. It was something that uh, I was really passionate and interested about because that camera ambassador, even though we are an equipment rental house, we have an additional um, amount of initiatives that we do that are kind of our community support sector of the company. So we have like an annu annual um, grant that we do. We do a lot of workshops and demos and um, create a space for people to come in and do workforce training in the space. So it really seemed like another medium of where we could accomplish the work that we're committed to with elevating and celebrating the community. So with that mm -hmm. mission in mind, it really felt like I could uh, put it under this umbrella. Uh, I think Rebecca and I both have very different skill sets and passions mm -hmm. and they align perfectly to be a yin and yang together where yeah. um, the things that she's really good at that she's passionate about are really opposite of what I am so we were able to kind of bring both of our backgrounds I don't think I could ever make a magazine without Rebecca she probably could without me but no 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 and I I so for the second issue Erica really stepped up in terms of overseeing everything like I would say the first issue you were like do what you want you know get all all yeah so she kind of left me alone a while and and we did you know I got some great writers and we uh our, our first issue was about healing through your art so our central story was around Emma Thatcher's film Provo who was Chicago based, but now she's in LA. But um, so yeah, like it was a great theme and it was, it, you know, but Erica is just really good at seeing how the picture can all come together in a way that's more um, digestible. I don't know if that's a good proper word, but like, so for this issue, um, the unconventional superhero idea came from um, Sam Bailey, who directs uh, like half of the episodes for Ironheart, the Disney Plus series. And she actually came, her publicist came to me and was like, we want to be in the next call sheet. And I was like, how did you know about us? Like, <laughs> I thought, I mean, Sam Bailey, she, she, uh, she's the I don't know, director, originator of Brown Girls, which was filmed in Chicago, but she's been in LA for a bit. So, and she she directs so much television, um, like Netflix shows, um, now Disney Plus. So the fact that she came to us and was like, I wanna be your cover story pretty much. And I was like, sure. So, you know, the Marvel thing, I'm not really a Marvel, person so much I'm, I'm kind of getting tired of it but you know <laughs> she I was like superheroes and I'm like I don't want to do a Marvel issue <laughs> you know I want to do like 
have her story um, in, inspire, like find these superheroes, like real life superheroes behind the camera. So her story kind of connected with all these other filmmaker stories um, of people that are doing like amazing things, right? You know, through their filmmaking. Yeah, I, well, two two kind of questions there. One um, with Sam Bailey finding uh, finding out about you know the call sheet and wanting to be part of it. I assume that that is indicative that I mean, you said there was a Chicago connection before, but that the magazine is is getting out there, getting out to the coasts, right? Having a reach beyond yeah, the, the which Midwest. Yeah, great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so have, have you found that that's, I mean, are you getting kind of more of those responses from, you know, the, the like LA and New York and other places? Uh, are you, are you finding that, that reach is, is growing? Yeah. So I think Sam Bailey, she, um, we showcased Mackenzie Chin in our first issue. Um, She's a Chicago actor um, and now filmmaker. She did this short film called A Real One that won the Hugo Prize actually at the Chicago International Film Fest this past year. Um, but she uh, has worked with Sam and Sam saw her feature and she was just like blown away by it because, you know, the design is <clears throat> something that really makes the magazine amazing. Like, you can see here just the beautiful, sorry, the beautiful, oh my God, I can't do this. Okay, beautiful <laughs> photography, so you know, and and um, Mackenzie's spread was gorgeous as well. And uh, yeah, so I think she read Mackenzie's piece and was like, I like what they're doing. Um, in terms of our reach, I I think it's, it's going slowly but impact impactful in an impactful way um i don't know if those are the right words but um yeah the chicago film community is probably the most excited like i've i've been seeing the excitement the most from the chicago film community but we do have connections on the coast so We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. The other thing too, I'll jump in and say is, you know, I think mm -hmm. there's there's two parts to it. One, we're having the digital platform, and it's a really cool platform. It's not just like a PDF that you go and view. It's actually um, a site that is designed for magazine um, hosting. And when you like turn the page, it actually you know, yeah, like a it is really know, cool digital version of that. And then there's um, the ability to add links and things like that. So as you're reading it as a publication, it's you know really interactive. But I think the second part of it that, you know, has grabbed the attention of people, maybe even outside of Chicago, is that, you know, there's not really a lot of people doing actual print, uh, you know, mm -hmm. non-digital actual print magazines um, anymore. It's kind of become like a lost art form in some way. Yes. And that was also part of my drive and passion for it is bringing back this, um, you know, it, because it is annually and there's one edition that we've done each year, it's kind of this archival, you know, physical mm -hmm. thing everything's digital now and everything moves so quickly and having this physical thing that's like going to be on my bookshelf every year for the next 10 years and I can yeah. flip back to you know 23 and remember maybe not wanting to but remembering the strikes and you yeah. know, really having this historical record I think is um something that's different that you know is a common medium but maybe not as common anymore and that's attracting I think people would be more interested in it as well yeah 
what's i mean what's the district i mean kind of getting into the nitty-gritty but i'm fascinated by it like what's the distribution model like are you able to get into like barnes and noble or is it like really just that would be local it, yeah. things or how how does that work and how do you even get started okay yes we've we've printed a physical magazine now we want to get it to people how does that even happen because <laughs> I, I the reason i mentioned is it is exciting to see a print magazine because i grew up you know reading premiere and entertainment weekly and, and those have all kind of mm -hmm. gone the way of the dinosaur they, they have online presences but so does everybody else it's like it's like trying to find something on netflix hey we got a new movie out on netflix uh, it's tuesday so there's like 300 other options yeah so but print i think is getting to the point now or potentially will where that's the standout like oh my god you've got a physical thing i can hold that's so cool it draws the attention yeah, absolutely. Um, I think what, you know, our approach is really to try to build it as we can um, support it. So build it organically um, with the first uh, volume. It really was reaching out to all the connections that Rebecca and I have here locally. And that was the platform of the distribution of everybody who, you know, took out an ad or supported it um, to really bring it to life. You know, every single one of those businesses and organizations we delivered copies to, so they were available for distribution there. And then what our eventual goal is, is to expand that where eventually you can become a subscriber of it and, you know, you would pay the annual subscription fee and it would just show up in your mailbox. So that's, you know, it's, it's a slow and steady process. Um, so that way we can learn as we grow and can, we can really um, do it to the quality that we want to do it. We don't want to just, yeah. you know, launch it and not have it, um, you know, cause the people that are fo uh, featured in the magazine are kind of, uh, riffing off of this volume is our heroes. And so yeah. we feel that they deserve the quality of what we see as, you know, stellar writing, stellar features. They're featured in such a gorgeous way. Um, the paper quality, all those elements to it. But like, yeah, the long-term goal is, I mean, if anyone's listening to this and they have connections at Barnes and Noble or other large distributors like that, you know, that's how we're organically building it is through finding those connections of people that have that same level of commitment to showcasing and celebrating the film community that we do. Yeah. And I, I actually see our magazine being at like film festivals. I mean, it is locally. I mean, we've, we've had it at the Midwest independent film festival um, and movie theaters like the, the Siskel and the music box in Chicago. But I, I see this like in theaters, you know, all over and, and um, video stores. Um, it would be cool to, get some distribution in those places um, where people crave those kind of stories. So, yeah. For sure. Um, yeah. Now, speaking of stories, I mean, it is an annual publication, which like the, I'm, I'm blanking on the, on the talent's name, but uh, she was talking about working on a trilogy of film, uh, short films during the pandemic. Oh um, yeah. So um Allison Torum, but it was yes. you, so Al, yeah, Allison Torum is the one who's doing the quarantine trilogy. Um, Eva Fabre is her assistant editor. And um, yeah, so we interviewed Eva. And so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, because I'm um, because reading that i'm thinking oh this is this is a really cool story i want to see what this this trilogy is um because i think the last name of the, the name of the last film was roadhead i'm like roadhead yeah wow. it's so funny um, <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but but i'm reading that and there's there's almost it's not a postscript but at the end 
they're like, oh, well, we got to wait to finish this up because the strike's going on and the strike is now a couple months behind us. And that's sort of the the risk of doing something that's that's annual because, you know, you put it out and then all of a sudden, oh, the news broke and things are kind of moving again. Is there a thought to either doing something that's more frequent? I know doing even an annual magazine has to be a huge undertaking, mm -hmm. but either doing that or is there a way to kind of do like follow up stories online to expand that the like mm -hmm. a new like volume 2a or something where you catch up uh, at, at the quarter mark and see where everyone's at yeah uh we actually have a blog that we started uh like i don't know october september of last year where i've been following up with the interview subjects from the call sheet so that's actually on the camera ambassador website okay um yeah so that's that's where you can kind of find the follow-up stories uh, in terms of like mini magazines to go with the big magazine. May maybe we'll we'll see. Uh, I do want to speak to some of the stories if that's okay with you. Please, um, yeah. Yeah. So I one story that I love doing was Bad Axe. Like, um, have you seen the documentary? It's on Hulu. I've um, not. I've not caught up with it, but I know you're a huge champion of that. Yeah. 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 So uh, the the documentary is uh, about the Sib family who's in Bad Axe, Michigan, and they're an Asian Mexican American family in a very Trump white small town in Michigan, and it, they have a restaurant. And it was the documentary is about their immigrant story well the father came from cambodia it's it's just an amazing story and um david siv is the director um diane kwan who did minding the gap is the producer and uh i got i got the matt my husband um matt Fagerholm, we we actually stayed with the siv family during the summer um so we got to kind of go to the places where the documentary was filmed and their family is just so beautiful, so hopeful. And so superhero to me for that family is just showing change. Like our country has been so divided and that family is bringing people together through the power of that film and their story. And they're just going to all these festivals and just their presence is making a difference. So seeing real change through a film, that is like a superpower, I feel. So that was like one of my favorite stories to do with, with Sam Bailey's. Um, so that that was one of the stories. Emily Lape, uh, she's a Chicago filmmaker. She did Mercy's Girl. Oh, yeah. We've, um, we've, uh, she's been on the show a couple of times. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. Emily's awesome. So Emily Jacobson, our contributing writer, wrote about, well, she interviewed Emily Lape. And um, Emily Lape, I feel like, is very uh, like a role model for women and, and queer people in the film community. And just by getting her work out there, you know, she she's developed this huge following and she's a superhero for, for those communities. So it, it's just exciting, you know? It, it makes me excited about how our uh, film industry could look different, you know? So 
And, and that's something that, uh, you know, has always kind of puzzled me is there are a lot of calls for representation of marginalized voices. And, and I think the last decade, at least, we've seen a lot of, you know, shifts in that direction. But, you know, Hollywood has always been seen as, you know, for, I think, good reason, a very liberal bastion. So I want to kind of get your both of your thoughts on, like, what's the what's the disconnect there? You know, if there are ostensibly, you know, very liberal people at the at the pulling the level levers of creative power, then what is with this perceived, I guess, lack of representation when you'd think that they would be the first people to put forward, you know, all different kinds of voices? Yeah, I think it's a lot of it's money related, which it, which is sad because, you know, this past summer, uh, I think we saw with with Barbie and Oppenheimer that people are craving like uh, stories that aren't Marvel or or, you know, regurgitated a thousand times. Um, but unfortunately, that's where most of the money has been going. Um, and it, it's because of that, um, you know, uh, these underrepresented voices behind the camera have been kind of lost. You know, I mean, it, it does seem things are getting a little more diverse on screen. Um, so I, I, I see change happening based on where people are putting their dollars seeing films but i also see people who are scared to in invest in authenticity so yeah it's complicated <laughs> right well i mean the, the good slash bad news is i mean marvel had a terrible year last year uh <laughs> Um, and so, you know, and DC didn't fare very well. I mean, I feel like the, the superhero fatigue or the bad superhero movie fatigue is setting in. Mm -hmm. So maybe that, that by definition has to open up, has to there's going to be a gap there that someone or some force, some genre needs to fill. Mm -hmm. Uh, so there's definitely, I think an opportunity there. It's interesting because Nia DaCosta, who, directed the marvels which came out and unfortunately was part of that that, that string of not so successful yeah. Marvel films you know she is uh, there's a piece in in call sheet volume two yeah yeah which addresses her other kind of like non marvel mm -hmm. films i thought that was a very kind of interesting take was that sort of deliberate like talking about the yeah so, the, the real movies <laughs> yeah no, no so we um did this started this magazine this issue uh like late summer and at that time we didn't have access to the marvels and um when i heard that nia da costa was was doing this film i was like she's a great filmmaker let's let's explore those two films that she's done before the marvels and and then kind of showcase those because well we we didn't see the film because right right so so you know and that that's another thing that makes me kind of sad because like Chloe Zhao who also did a Marvel film uh, with the Eternals I I don't think these female filmmakers are able to make the films that they really want to make because of these um, huge production companies just tearing apart their ideas so. I don't, I, I, this is horrible. I haven't seen the Marvels. 
I, I, I want to, I want to. No, no, no you don't. But, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. But no, that's a sad thing because Nia DaCosta and Chloe Zhao are amazing filmmakers. But then you're like, what? This doesn't make sense because their vision gets lost in the shuffle and people don't want to take chances at these big studios. So I feel like that's that's sort of one of the dangers of this push for diversity. It is great to get more voices out there, but also, I mean, tokenism is a terrible word, but like, hey, we have, you know, we have an Asian female director making the Eternals. But if you put her on something that doesn't really, I, I happen to love the Eternals. I hated the Marvels, but I love the Eternals. But I, because I felt like even in that movie, I could see a, a voice that wasn't part of the Marvel machine. And I think yeah. a lot of people hate yeah. it because like, oh, it's slow and it's boring. It's, you know, meditative. I'm like, yes, because it's not like the other movies that you've put out. Um, so, I mean, with, with Nia DaCosta, with Chloe Zhao, it almost feels like a double-edged sword. Hey, you're getting your shot and you're kind of like standing up there to represent, yeah. you know, different voices, but you're also being kind of ground up into the Hollywood Marvel meat grinder. Yeah. If that it, makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And it's, I, I don't know. And then you get things like Barbie, which I, 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 I don't know what your feelings are on Barbie. I, I don't, I, you didn't like it, but I no. loved it. And I think why it is so great is yeah. Mattel was on top of all of it, but Greta, Ger by the way, we have a piece on Barbie in our magazine. Yeah. Um, it was uh, about Gloria. Gloria, yeah. America, America Ferreira. Uh, yeah, so that movie moved so many people and brought so many people to the theaters. And it was because they didn't mess with their script. Like they let them do all the things they wanted. And I think that was what made the difference. So, right. Yeah. And I, I, I'm not a fan of Barbie, but I can appreciate that Greta Gerwig and, you know, to whatever extent, Noah Baumbach, yeah. you know, that creative vision, it does, it does feel like they were left alone by Mattel, by Warner Brothers to do this thing. I don't know how that happens, but if that kind of effect can bleed over into other you know studios and, and yeah. properties and stuff, then I think that's how you get the, the voices across. Yeah, for sure. Erica, I'm, I'm sorry. We've been hanging out. I Me love and Rebecca it. been hogging the whole conversation. Oh, uh, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I, mean, I think it kind of goes back down to, you know, money and power. And I think something that I think about a lot um, in the industry and across all the platform and the work that I do is that I think that there is a um, complacency of people just do things because that's the way they've always been done. Instead of saying, how should we do it? What would be mm -hmm. a more um, productive, um, collaborative, authentic way, whether it's telling a story or renting a camera, you know, it's all across the industry where these um, systemic historical things are just being done just because they always have been. So I mm -hmm. think you know, when we're talking about some of these different projects that are successful and are not doing it how it's always just been done, and then those are successful the mm -hmm. more of that, the trailblazers who are paving the ways for that, that's where the money and power will see, oh, there is money and power mm -hmm. in that model. And, you know, it'll be a cycle just like everything else where there'll be good and bad and yin and yang with it. But I do think, um, you know, 
progress is being made. And the more progress that's made, it's a snowball where it will continue. And I think Chicago is really um, a forefront in this Mm -hmm. industry, even though it's not, you know, Hollywood and we don't have as much um, business here. I think that the um, content that's coming out of Chicago and the way that film sets are running and the ethos of the people that are in decision making positions, we really are at the forefront of making these changes. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. And I do want to, I mean, I think that's a great point and it kind of puts me in mind of something else. I guess we'll close out here where we began uh, with that Tux Turner uh, profile. Um, They are a trans non-binary, you know, performer. And they're talking about how like they were getting scripts for independent, you know, projects for trans characters, but they were all like, I think the term was hypersexualized and or weird. And so they were kind of relieved to to look at, you know, projects that treated them as kind of like regular. Again, I, I feel like I'm walking through a minefield here, like regular people, you know, yeah, like they're <laughs> not like a, a character yeah. instead mm-hmm. of a instead of a trait or yeah. you know, an aspect mm-hmm. Of, mm-hmm. of who they are. Um, and I think that's the kind of thing you know, in combination with more access to, for lack of a better term, the levers of power, uh, getting the ability to get genuine voices across with material that, uh, you know, is accessible to, you know, a wider audience without pandering or, you know, discriminating. And that's the key to, I think, this this big precipice that hopefully we're on with bigger stories, more inclusive stories. Um, yeah, I... I'm I'm so done with the comic book movies and and yeah no, and I that I, I think I think this magazine is refreshing in that sense because the only thing we you know I didn't even talk to Sam Bailey about Ironheart because Disney Plus was like not allowing her to talk about it so we talked about her whole no 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 but it was good because we talked about her whole scene in Chicago and how she got started and you know the impact she has made so in in a sense that kind of spiraled to other stories that were you know empowering that were not comic books you know it was just i i'll just say one more i know we need to get going but um there's another story about this woman who her name's nalini nakarni who's a um she climbs trees in the rainforest and there was a short documentary called Between Earth and Sky that was done about her. And she's a real life superhero. She has a Barbie, actually, treetop Barbie that was made in her honor. So it's like these are the people that are really doing things and impacting. And so this is like, I don't want to say anti-superhero, but it's like real life superheroes. So unconventional is kind of like real life. Yeah. Sure. Redefining that, um, that term as well. And one last thing that I wanted to um, just make nod to is um, at our um, pre-launch party that we did here in Chicago, um, we worked with a florist and we had um, flowers that were part of an installation because that was also a visual um, theme throughout this edition. And uh, the florist uh, made it so that each flower had a little, um, you know, vase that was like a portable vase with it. And part of what we wanted to relay to the audience that was um, privileged enough to be there in person at this pre-launch is that every single person that's there 
is our superheroes. And each of those people were able to leave with a flower and symbolism of what the community is and what we're building and Mm -hmm. redefining what that looks and um, building the table, creating those seats and um, putting people in power um, who can make those decisions and really make impact in the industry. Yeah. Well, that, that's really cool. Um, I, I am still scratching my head at the Sam Bailey thing. Uh, Disney uh, not wanting the director of Ironheart to talk about Ironheart. To your point, it is great because that limitation allowed you to talk about other things in the interview. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. It, it, I guess I it think it was related to the strikes because when I talked oh. to her, we were it was all going on, and that that's okay. how our magazine starts actually with an introduction about the the climate last year with with the um strikes yeah right Mm -hmm. well the strikes are behind us there are you know opportunities (laughs) in abundance yes um so onward and upward and you know it's it's kind of unfortunate we have a full year uh, approximately before the next issue of the call sheet Uh, so can you give out the blog and well erica you do the plug (laughs) <laughs> no, you do the plug. I don't know what you're about to plug. <laughs> no, I was just saying like people who are craving more of the call sheet after they go to the callsheet.org, um, they can go to the blog, which is on Camera Ambassadors website, and you can find it on cinemafem.com as well. So I'll I'll have links to all that down below so people can check it out, definitely. Um but before we go, I want to ask, if you can, can you give a preview of what you're cooking up for 2024? Like what Ooh. kind of story or either stories or interviews or just like a general focus? Mm-hmm. Uh, so for the call sheet, um, stay tuned on that. Uh, usually I wait for inspiration for things that happen during the year. But for Cinema Fam, we're kicking off our Sundance coverage on Friday uh, with, uh, I interviewed June Squibb, uh, Nebraska, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> She's a big deal to me. Um, June Squibb and Zoe Wirth for their film Thelma. And so, uh, June Squibb is 94 and she carries this film. It's like an action film, but she's like 94. <laughs> and so that's actually the opening film at Sundance on January 18th. And, so I'm I'm going to be posting that interview on Friday to kick off our coverage. Well, yeah, when you say Friday, that's actually technically today when the episode drops. Ah, so, uh, if, so if the stars align, I can share that interview. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, and I was just going to say, like, one of the really exciting things about it with it being, um, and, you know, if we can do it, we're going to make more than one a year. It's, you know, really just trying to establish um, this as a um, quality publication. So if you have money, if you have resources and you're listening to this uh, podcast, please contact us. And that's honestly what's happening is even since volume two came out, um, which has only been a few weeks, I've gotten numerous cold emails and it's like, you know, that traction even from the first volume. But the cool thing is that it's uh, what's in each volume currently with our format of it being annually and it being an archive of each year is it's being created right now. So what's going to be in volume three might be a project that you are filming right now that we're going to cover and that inspires us. And, you know, depending on what the theme is and the direction that we go with it. So, yeah, I think like that's where it's like an active part of our communities building it at the same Mm -hmm. time that we're creating it. And that's Mm -hmm. personally something that I really love about it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. 
Well, looking forward to seeing, you know, what the year brings. I mean, it's going to be a big year for movies and everything else because we're in 2024. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited about uh, volume three. I'm excited to get a copy of volume two. I got I still yeah. I, I just read the digital version. I got to get my hand on it. Send me your address or we'll just have to meet up. And okay. I'll just hand you a copy. So, yeah. Yeah. And I want to just thank you so much for thank having you, me. Thank you, Ian. Mm -hmm. like, oh. a great supporter. And like, we're just so honored to be able to be here and like chat with your, um, with your listeners. Well, thank you for, for hanging out and, uh, and talking about this. And also just for, for creating this, this magazine, as we've discussed, it's a magazine, which is incredible, but it's also, you know, I love Chicago. I'm a Chicagoan. So any chance to elevate those between the coast Midwest voices and voices that frankly have not perhaps had a seat at the table, I think is you're, you're doing great work. So thank you very much, Rebecca and Erica. Folks out there, all the information is down below. So check out Cinema Femme, The Call Sheet, Camera Ambassador, uh, and whatever else I can think to throw in there. <laughs> but um, yeah, thanks, everyone. Take care. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you later. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, Ian. Bye. Right. Bye.